0: Well, welcome Hillsboro First Baptist Church. If you have your Bibles, open up to Jonah chapter two. As uh, we continue our series in the book of Jonah, we're focusing on Jonah and his relationship or non-relationship uh, with the city of Nineveh. And uh, we're gonna continue on today. Kids, uh, how many of you, get your charts out. Uh, how many of you uh, found my mistake from last week? Uh, I had you writing in the wrong box, so now some of your charts are a little bit messed up. But we we'll, uh, don't worry. There's remember, there's a prize if you have your charts filled out. We've got some, uh, some fish and worms for you. Can't wait for you to get that. So hold on to that. Uh, so here's our chart, kids. Uh, just a reminder: uh, Chapter one, you can't run from God, and then uh, we looked at you can't ignore uh, your neighbor. And then uh, in chapter 2, I had you, again, the wrong box there, but um, we learned uh, um, that we are learning to die to self. And then today's uh, phrase is that we're learning how not to pray, learning how not to pray, from Jonah chapter 2. So, we began looking at this idea in chapter two, at the end of chapter one, of dying to self. And we talked about how uh, the discipleship process is this, this process in which we grow closer to God and becoming a disciple maker. And that we look at the pattern of Jesus' life and Jesus says, come, follow me. And then Jesus invites his disciples, or invites his disciples to come and see, and then come follow me. And then we talked about last week this idea of come and die, or uh, come be with me, go deeper with me, and become like me. And we talked about how Jonah did that to a certain degree, and yet we're called to do this all the time. And I gave you an application point last week that you were supposed to take time to pray, and ask God areas of your life, not somebody else's life, that you need to die to yourself. And so I just want to stop for a moment and and ask you if you did that. And I think this is a good part of our regular prayer where we're asking God to search us and know us if there's any offensive way in us. And one offensive way in us is when we make it about us and not about others or about God. And so this time to Stop and pray, and ask God uh, to to reveal to us areas in which we need to die. And then, of course, in the discipleship process, we get to that point that we uh, learn to make disciples, and we call other people to follow us along the way. And and I would say, as we jump into chapter two here and this prayer, that I there's a and we're going to look at it, but it just seems to me that Jonah is still really focused on himself. And so this idea of dying to self is, is just, it, it hasn't left us yet here. So look at Jonah chapter two. In fact, let me just kind of pick up the last part of, of Jonah chapter one. Remember they throw him in the water and it says in verse 17, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish saying, those who pay regard to vain vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon dry land. Now, you know, I just want to point out a few things. If you have your Bibles open, this will be helpful. But um, if you're just following along, that's okay too. If you look at Jonah chapter two, in most of your Bibles, the, the formatting of the chapter itself will look different than chapter one and chapter three. And the reason for that is in a, a good English Bible, when we're moving to Hebrew poetry, a different genre, a different type, it will offset it differently so that you see that. And so here, what we know is that we are into a different type of literature. This is Hebrew poetry. And Hebrew poetry is not like our English poetry. Our English poetry, you know, maybe it rhymes. Roses are red, violets are blue. That's not how Hebrew poetry works. Hebrew poetry, uh, the first line relates to the second line. So look at verse two again, saying, and here's where the poetry starts, I called out to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me. So here we have a completion of thought. I called to the Lord, he answered, okay? Uh, Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, you heard my voice. Look, that doesn't, I cried, you heard my voice, okay? Um, Verse three, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, okay? Deep, heart of the seas, those relate to each other. So that's just how Hebrew poetry work. So first of all, this is a very poetic prayer. Second thing that we know about this is if we study it in depth, is that what Jonah is doing is he is picking different parts of the psalms and he is using it to inform his prayer. And we're going to look at this throughout. He takes a psalm, he changes it a little bit, and uh, we have Psalm 120 in here, Psalm 5, Psalm 31, Psalm 69, And uh, Psalm uh, 3, all throughout this, he picks out these different psalms. So what does that teach us? That the psalms help inform how we pray. Now, the other thing that I just kind of noticed in this, and and, you don't need to make a big deal about it, but at the end of it, okay, we're familiar with this, right? The fish vomits Jonah out on the sea. There was other words available to the author of Jonah. I mean, he could have used, he delivered him, he dropped him off, he got rid of him, but but the word vomit is just very graphic here. And I think it shows a little bit of the heart of God in all this, where he's at with Jonah. And so I've entitled this message, Prayer That Makes God Vomit. Now, the the great thing about prayer is, look, any prayer is better than no prayer. But Jonah's prayer, to me, seems very, Pointed and uh, self-focused and interested. Uh, And of course, he's in the depths of the sea. He thinks he's dying, so that makes sense. But it certainly is maybe, to me, not a psalm of repentance. If you watch any of the kids' uh, Jonah stories, if you pick up the Jonah books for your grandkids, uh, they all have a very familiar uh, storyline. And that is chapter one, probably about half the book kids book chapter one chapter two it's always a whale even though it says fish but whatever you you have this whale that swallows Jonah and it talks about Jonah's repentance and then chapter three uh, Jonah preaches people repent and it ends in this celebratory thing and often almost all children's books don't even include chapter four which is really the whole climax of the story here and so I just want to say that over the years, for centuries, Jonah chapter 2 is under debate. It's under consideration. Is this a psalm of repentance or not? And just the fact that we've debated it for so many years makes me believe that we're supposed to have this discussion. We're supposed to say, is this a true psalm of repentance? And we're led to believe it's not because in the end, Jonah's heart is still the same. And so it brings the mirror, (coughs) excuse me, it brings the mirror back to us and to say, sometimes we know a lot about God, but it really doesn't change our heart. And so with all that being said, uh, we want to move away from this veggie tail syndrome where the This is just a pure psalm of repentance. And what we're going to look at this morning is this. Three things. Uh, One is that this is a lesson in how not to pray. Then we're going to look at a lesson in true repentance. And then we're going to look at the, the promise that God answers us despite ourselves. So here we are, this prayer that makes God vomit Here's why I question that this is not a a prayer of repentance and this is a lesson in how not to pray. The first thing is just this kind of woe to me attitude and focus that is throughout the psalm. So look at verse two again. Uh, I called out to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me. Jonah's prayer, I called out to the Lord out of my distress. Psalm 120 starts this way. In my distress, I called to the Lord. And I I believe that as Jonah is in peril, he remembers the Psalm. In my distress, um, I called to the Lord. Um, and, And in here, the focus um, it, it seems to be Jonah's distress, it gets the emphasis, and, and not the Lord here. And so he seems to kind of reverse it just a little bit. Very slight difference, but Jonah moved the Lord um, in this. And, and, and people question why he moves that a little bit in, in the Hebrew there, in the focus. And so it's very slight. But it seems to me that Jonah is focused on I called, I cried, my voice. And let's remember that God called Jonah and Jonah didn't listen. Now Jonah is emphasizing what he has done. I called out to the Lord. I called out to the Lord. This is what I did. You remember the Lord spoke to you and you ignored it. And so he is emphasizing his work. I called out to the Lord. The psalmist says, in my distress, in, in all this stuff, I, I called to the Lord. And, and I, I think here, the, the focus seems to be a little bit more on Jonah's work. And that continues out. I pointed out last week that I or me or my is in every verse except for verse 8. And then the longest part of his prayer, verses three, four, and five, are all his woe. Woe to me is the longest part of the prayer. They're taken from David's laments in Psalm 5, Psalm 31, and Psalm 69. But David's laments end up in praising God. Jonah's don't necessarily do that. (coughs) Excuse me. The next thing... Really, kind of emphasized and said to me is look at verse 7. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. It really made me think of uh, changing the psalm, A Great is your faithfulness, to Great is my faithfulness. I called out to the Lord, I remembered. Um, boy, God, I was was really faithful and remembered you. And uh, again, uh, the focus seems to be on Jonah. And then we have this verse that's just odd. It's offset from the other verses. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. He, He wants to point out how pagans, the Assyrians, Nineveh, is different. They worship idols, but I don't do that. And it reminded me of the prayer in the gospels, I thank you that I am not like other people. Even in his death and his disobedience here of God and running from God and all that he's going through, he is saying, boy, God, isn't it great that I'm not like other people? And you know, I I wonder how many times we do that. When we pray to God and, we come with our sinful attitudes. We come with wrong thoughts and wrong motivations. When we have this whole thing focused on us, and then in our prayers, we just kind of think, well, at least I'm not like those people that are doing that thing. Or at least I'm not like the people on the news. At least I'm not doing this. And you know, the point here that that keeps hammering Jonah over and over again is the problem, Jonah, is with your heart. And so prayer should not be about justifying ourselves before God, but seeking the grace and mercy of God when we recognize our sin. And I, I just don't see that necessarily happening with Jonah. And I know some of you are gonna disagree with me. You've seen Jonah in different ways. But this prayer is, is, has been historically under question. And so I think we're meant to just kind of look at this. Woe to me, great is my faithfulness. I thank you that I am not like other people. And then finally, I, I think he ends this with, I will surrender null. Now I, I say that because he says in verse nine, but I, with a voice of thanksgiving, thanksgiving will sacrifice to you. Uh, there is hope in Jonah's prayer, which is really interesting. He, he sees this going down to Sheol uh, in verse two. He's going into the depths. The waves are overcoming him and he's driven away from God's sight in verse four. And then in the end of verse four, he says, yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. What is he saying there? Uh, he may be saying that I I believe in everlasting life, and that in my death I will one day worship you again. Or he is beginning to sense God's rescue of his life, and he is being uh, pro uh, uh, faithful here and saying, "Look, I know God. I, I believe you're saving me, and I know that one day I will worship you in your temple." And so again, he goes back to the woe in verse five, the waters closed in over me to take my life. The depth surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I mean, he is he is in the depth of the earth here. He said, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Again, here's this physical picture of debt. Yet you brought my life from the pit. There's this, this salvation from Sheol type of language here. Oh, Lord my God, when my life was fading away, I remembered you. My prayer came to you into your holy temple. Uh, he contrasts again the, the idols in verse 8 and then verse 9. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. And so he's saying, God, I will, I will serve you. I will obey you. Great attitude. Perfect. So what happens? The fish vomits him up on the land. <clears throat> what happens next to me is crucial in understanding this prayer. Look at chapter three, verse one. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, arise, go to Nineveh. Why did the word of the Lord have to come to Jonah a second time? Why did God have to repeat his command? Jonah was just saved from the pits of hell and he has miraculously lived in the belly of this fish. He is upon dry ground. What you would picture, he's just said, I will obey you and serve you. He should have picked himself up and headed to Nineveh, but he is sitting there having a little uh, maybe a campfire or whatever. And God says, Go to, God shouldn't have to tell him again. Jonah is still avoiding Nineveh. He's not running to God's mission. Now, I got to tell you, Jonah chapter one and Jonah chapter two if we just follow the little pattern for our reading that we do here at Hillsboro First Baptist Church, who's God? Um, well, God is a, a God that gets angry when you disobey him. Is that true? Yeah. God calls us to mission. Is that true? Yeah. God calls us to mission and, and he gets mad when we're not on mission. And in fact, think about how mad God is when Jonah doesn't do what Jonah was called to do. He He causes this storm and this fish and all these things. And I think, how many times have I felt God's leaning in my life and not done it? I've talked with people many times who have said, man, I really felt that God had called me into ministry, but I didn't go. Or I felt that God said no to this, but I wanted it and I went. And I think of Jonah Here's a prophet of God and God gives him one job and he goes, ah, I don't really want to do that. And look at all that happens. That that's really helps us to, to wrestle with the importance of obeying God. And I wonder how many of our lives are upside down and, and cattywampus and now we have all these struggles because we're just fighting with simple things that God wants us to do. And so here we have this prayer, and I don't blame Jonah. I don't know that my prayers are any better. But man, I I certainly don't want you all evaluating my prayers and saying, well, I don't know. Dave seems like he's a little self-focused here. But the reality is we're, we're wrestling with this, and what is it doing to our heart? You know, Jonah pulls from Psalm 125, 31, 69, Psalm 3, But you know what Psalm he doesn't pull from? Psalm 51, which is a great lesson in what real repentance looks like. And so just for a moment, I just wanna encourage you to, uh, if you have your Bibles, to turn to Psalm 51. And uh, let's look at what God says, uh, what David says in way of repentance so that we might learn a little bit of something about when we need to turn back to God. And we don't have time to go through uh, every little bit of Psalm 51. Again, Hebrew poetry uh, written in this idea of repentance. And just, just wrestle with that a, a moment. I mean, think about when you have to repent before God or confess sin, uh, you know, how you do it and, oh God, I blew it again and please forgive me. And uh, I mean, David blows it and he writes a poetry piece. He writes a song about it. Uh, people sing it. In fact, Psalm 51, to the choir master. In other words, here's a song to sing about Repentance. A Psalm of David, when, he, when Nathan, the prophet, went to him after he had gone in to Bathsheba. David says this, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgression. Wash me, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my transgressions. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your way and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltness, O God, O God of my salvation." And my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O oh, Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. O oh, God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasures. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. The bulls will be offered on your altar. Now, when you read this Psalm, you can also hear David's focus on I and me and my. But the difference in the tone of Psalm 51 can be summed up in verse 17. The sacrifices... Of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O oh God, you will not despise. What I hear when I read Psalm 51 is a broken spirit, a humbled man, a man that is not focused on himself but focused on the work of God. When I read Jonah chapter two, I don't sense the brokenness of Jonah. I hear the woe, I hear the fear, but I don't hear the repentance. So a lesson in true repentance. What does true repentance give us? Jonah chapter two gives us our need for repentance. We can see his need for it. But Psalm 51 gives us the words for repentance. And the first of all, what we hear is a cry for forgiveness. You can almost hear the cry in the words, Have mercy on me, O God. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me. Cleanse me. The psalmist is crying for forgiveness. And the forgiveness of David is not based on his prayer. It's not based on his actions. It's based on God's character. Have mercy on me, O God. What? According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Listen, church, we can't outrun the love of God. We can't outpace the steadfastness of God. And so we can just cry for his forgiveness. Second, David has a confession of sin. I know my transgressions against you and you only have I sinned. And we could take time and talk about that. But David recognizes that his sin is against God and that he understands his condition before God, that he was born a sinner. He recognizes that. Church, listen, oftentimes when we're talking, we say, well, we're all sinners. But when we're talking at people, We make them feel like they are less than us. We must recognize that we are all in the image of God and that we all are rebelling from God and therefore we are all sinners. Third, David looks for a cleansing from his sin and he uses terms maybe that we're not familiar with here in verses seven and nine through nine. Purge me, wash me. I love verse eight. And I don't know if you've ever just felt this when the pressures of sin are just on you and David just cries out. He says, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. In other words, I am emotionally drained from trying to hide this sin and cover this up and live like it didn't happen. And God, I just want to hear joy again. I want to be released from this. Cleanse me. And then David says, create a pure heart. Look, here's something that God can do that you cannot. Let me say that again. Here's something that only God can do. It's not something you can do. You have sinned. Your sin has offended a holy God. You are under condemnation. You come to him seeking forgiveness and he says, I forgive you. That's wonderful. But David says, man, not only do I need forgiveness, God, but I need you to cleanse my heart. I need you to create something in it that is new. And this is one of the meta stories of the Bible that we can't be changed, that God has to change our heart for us And so in Jeremiah and different places, that God is gonna give you a new heart. And that is what we have in Jesus Christ. Not just that you are saved from your sin, but when you come to Christ, you have a new heart and have the ability to change and grow and become like Christ. And so he says, create in me a clean heart, O God, renew a, a, a steadfast or a right spirit within me. In other words, God, help me to get back on track cast me not from your presence, take not your Holy Spirit from me, create a pure heart. And then it's interesting here, David has a commitment to teach others. He recognized that he has gone through this process. He, is, he has rebelled against God. He tried to hide it up. He got caught. It came out. He confessed. He dealt with it. It's out there. And then he says, look, I, I learned my lesson. So verse uh, 13, then I will teach transgressors your way. Listen, there is a, 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 a problem in the church today. And that is this people sin, they get caught, they confess, and then they continue to cover it up because they don't want people to think less of them. They don't teach transgressors their way. Oh, they might say, Something, but they never come and be honest and say, "You know what? I really blew it. This is who I really am." And I, I just want to tell you and be honest: God is changing me and molding me. But you know why? Because we we out people. If we know what their sin is, uh, man, we, we, well then they can't be in a position of leadership, or they can't do this. Look, this is King David. This is the king of Israel. God forgives. There should be a way for us to talk openly about sin and how God is changing us. And then finally, there's a concluding prayer. It's kind of weird in here. Uh, if you were listening in verses um, uh, 18 and 19, this do good to Zion, your good pleasure. Why is he saying this? Look, David recognizes that his sin is gonna affect Israel. And so the last thing that he does is he prays for the nation. You know what? Your sin impacts other people. It impacts the church, impacts your family, impacts your community. And so when you confess sin, a place to end, when you repent, and repent means to turn, and that's what David is doing here. He's turning from his sin, and he's going, I'm going to teach other people not to go down the path that I went, and I'm going to pray that God would protect those around me, in my community, in my place, because of the sin that I committed. He concludes in praying for other people. And see, Jonah doesn't get there. Jonah doesn't get to this point where he he calls out to God in his distress, and then he says in verse nine, "But I, 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 with a voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord." But what he doesn't do, what he doesn't do, is say, "God, and help me preach to the Ninevites." Give me the words to say to love my neighbor. God, the calling you've given me, he doesn't get to that point where he's praying for others around him. Psalm 51, a great lesson in repentance. Cry for forgiveness, confession of sin, cleansing from sin, creating a pure heart, commitment to teach others, and concluding prayer for others. Um, Maybe you have something that's on your heart. Maybe God is revealing to you areas of your life that need to change, that need to be repented of. Um, You can just walk through this psalm, pray these words, make them your own and seek to, to repent of your sin and to go a different direction. You know, the reality is this prayer to me in Jonah chapter two seems weak. But I will say this, God answers our prayer in spite of us, right? We can question whether this is a psalm of repentance or it's not, but you know what? Jonah's back on dry land. God recognizes our frailties. He understands our weaknesses and he meets us where we are. I think we can all grow in the area of prayer and I will continue to challenge us to do that. In fact, our next series is on prayer. But, you know, the, the reality is, um, I, I had it here in my notes somewhere, but I'm just going to say it now. Uh, prayer is like pizza. Uh, even bad pizza is still pretty good, right? Even a bad prayer is still, it's better than no prayer, okay? So, look, Jonah's praying. He's doing the right thing. And prayer is hard. Sometimes, you know, Dave, I pray and I don't feel like God hears me. I, I'm, and what some of you are hearing because you beat up on yourself, what you're hearing is what pastor is saying is, I don't pray right. Well, here's the good news. Whether you pray right or wrong, God still hears you. God still answers as he does Jonah. Um, but we can always learn to pray better. And I was challenged this week thinking of Elijah. And you remember, God told Elijah, it's not going to rain until you pray. And, uh, and then God says, Elijah, it's time to pray. And so Elijah goes up on the hill and he prays for rain. And you know what? He sends out his servant. He goes, go see if there's rain on the horizon. The servant comes back and says, no clouds. Elijah prays again. Sends out his, his servant. Servant comes back, no clouds. Elijah prays again. Sends out his servant. His servant comes back, no clouds. This happens eight times. God says, it's not going to rain until you pray. You would think Jonah, uh, Elijah just goes, God, uh, bring the rain. And it happens. But no, Elijah's got to pray over and over and over again. And if Elijah, how much more us? I mean, he's, he's a man just like us. He prayed and rain came according to James. But man, he had to pray eight times. And so we need to persist in our prayers. God answers prayer despite us. Uh, John Piper had some really good points. I just I love these. Uh, God answers us in spite of our guilt. Look, Jonah is in the water because he is guilty, because he has sinned. And yet God still hears our prayers. So many of you are going to say, Well, God doesn't hear my prayers because I'm just too terrible of a person. Jonah is Uh, incurring the wrath of God because he he disobeys and God hears them. In uh, Psalm uh, 107, I love this Psalm. It gives all sorts of different situations. It says in verse 10, some sat in darkness, in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons, for they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. Does that sound like Jonah? Verse 12, so he... So he bowed their heads down with hard labor. They fell down with no help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from the distress. He brought them out of the darkness and out of the shadow of death. Look, when we are disobeying God, when we pray to him, uh, he can hear our prayers. God answers us in spite of his judgment. In Jonah chapter two, verse three, Jonah's very clear for you cast me into the deep. Well, technically, the sailors casted him into the deep. He doesn't blame the sailors. He also doesn't blame himself. God, you put me here. In the midst of of Jonah's judgment, God hears him. God answers and delivers us from impossible circumstances. Verses five and six, again, the waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me, weeds wrapped about my head and the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. That's an impossible circumstance. Now picture this, you know the story, you've seen the children's books, you've listened to the veggie tales, whatever it is. You know how the story ends, but put yourself in that situation they are in the middle of a body of water in an immense storm. They cannot see land. They have cast everything out. There is no hope. The boat is breaking apart. They throw him overboard into the water. He is not expected to live. The, the sailors say, don't put this man's innocent. They, they know when they throw him over, he is dead. They're not giving him a lifeboat. He has no life preserver. He doesn't have the little round thing. Whatever it is, he is going down and he just goes in the water and he sinks and sinks and sinks and sinks. He's going down to the depths of the earth and then a huge fish comes. Now, I don't know about you, but this isn't a, oh, good moment. This is, could this get any worse? Oh, yes, it can. This big fish is now going to eat me. And so in that moment of things getting worse, God is bringing a rescue. Sometimes when things are getting worse and worse and worse, it's because God is about to deliver you. God is about to rescue you. God has heard your prayers and he is about to move. I am telling you, I don't know what Jonah saw. I don't know if he saw anything, but if he saw a shadow moving in those waters, he thought, This is it. And it was. It was his salvation. God answers and delivers us from impossible circumstances. God answers us in the nick of time. He probably couldn't have been in that water anymore. That's it, he's about to drown. God rescues him in the nick of time. I had a friend that used to always say, he repeated to me all the time, he'd say, Pastor Dave, he said, God is rarely early, but he's never late. And you know what? I hated that statement. In other words, God rarely shows up early and rescues you before you know you're in trouble. But God is never late. He gets there in the nick of time. I don't know what God is doing in all of our circumstances, but I do know this. God is doing something. And I'm okay with that because God will rescue his people in the nick of time. God answers us in stages, not all of which are comfortable, okay? Man, He is thrown overboard. He is sinking, sinking, sinking. Who, if you're reading the story for the first time, who's going, when's the fish going to come? Ah, Man, he answers us sometimes in stages. The fish is a transportation device, we find out. It's a bubble to get him back to land so God can get him back on mission. Sometimes God is rescuing us in stages. Stages. Sometimes you are praying for things and, and God is, is bringing you through that in stages. And sometimes we miss them altogether. We miss what God is doing. We want God to do something all at once in miraculous. It's a dumb joke. Most of you have heard it, but you know, the, the flood comes and uh, the man prays that God would rescue him. And a uh, one of those little rescue boats come by and says, get in. He says, no, I'm waiting for God to rescue me. And the waters get a little bit higher and a bigger boat comes. And they say, you're, you're going you're to die. Get in the boat. He says, no, I'm praying for God to rescue me. The waters rise. He's on the roof. A helicopter comes. And they said, get on the rope. And he says, no, I'm waiting for God to rescue me. And he dies. And he gets to heaven and he says, God, I prayed for you to rescue me. And God says, I sent two boats and a helicopter. What more did you want? Sometimes we're looking for some big miraculous light in the sky. And sometimes God is saying, I have given you everything you need. God answers us sometimes in ways that are uncomfortable. And God does that so that in order uh, to win our undivided, loyalty and trust. Now I question verse nine and I'm not gonna question John Piper, but he says, look, what we see here is that Jonah's heart is turned back to God and it is. I don't know whether it's undivided or not, but what God wants in his answering of prayer for you is that you might see his goodness and his love for you. God answers us to help us to become merciful to others. This is what God is trying to show Jonah. Jonah, you are sinking to the depths because you rebelled against me. And you know what? The Assyrians are sinking to the depths because they've rebelled against me. Jonah, go and tell them about my love. Tell them that I am going to to have to judge them unless they repent. You know, the idea of preaching to our enemies seems so crazy. So scary, so counterintuitive. But you know what? It's the Assyrians who are gonna overtake Israel. Their repentance brings about a rescue for Israel. If Jonah goes, there's a rescue for both nations. In other words, when we love our neighbor and they come to Christ, we all win. It's not about you. It's not about what makes you comfortable. So here's some application and action. Obviously prayer, even bad prayer works. Prayers like pizza, even bad pizza is still kind of good. Pray. Some of you have kind of given up on prayer and I know this from talking to you. It's not that you don't pray at all. It's that you're really afraid to pray about the hard things because God doesn't seem to answer you. And again, God is not set in your place, in your time. He sees your whole story. And some of the things that you're praying for are right around the corner. And God says, I've already answered that. You just don't see it yet. So I'm calling you to persistence, to keep pushing, to keep driving, to keep hoping, to keep loving, pray, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understandings. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. If you have had that thing that you're praying for that you've given up on, I would call you to repent of that. Repent that you've lost hope. Repent that you've stopped asking. Seek the Lord with all of your heart. Lean into him. Some of us need to repent of wrong attitudes. Wrong actions, wrong non-actions. Some of us just need to say, I don't understand all that's going on, but God, I need to change and become more like you to love other people. God, I don't understand the world that I live in, but I wanna understand other people and I wanna repent of what I can repent of. Some of you have treated other people in this church poorly and you need to repent of that and then go make it right with them. And you know what? We all need to trust. We all need to believe that God is good all the time. And we all need to believe that God is working all things out for his will. So we pray, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. To forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors, those who have sinned against us. And help us to, to, to trust you to protect us. Look, we all need to continue to pray that God's will will be done in us and in the world in which we live. Let's end in prayer. God, help us to learn to pray effectively, to pray continually to pray with a broken and contrite heart, to pray in faith, to pray believing that you are a God that is good and loving, to pray hopefully, to pray for others, to pray to be on mission, to pray for our kids, God, help us to love you and to love others. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Happy Father's Day, it's dad.